Greetings, welcome to Beatles Stuffology. We're two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello, I have to say I'm really excited about this episode. I've been looking forward to talking about this for ages. After all, it's fantastic news, isn't it, that one of my favourite TV series of the 80s is coming to, to streaming <laughs> any day now, which is fantastic. Yes, yes, I'm sure Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd would be thrilled to hear us discuss it. No, wait a minute, that's not quite right, is it? Oh no, okay. Are we are we then talking about the potential second series of the Oscar Isaac uh, Marvel series? Oh, that that's oh, you see, you're so close again, and yet it's just just managed to swerve away at the last second. How about the lead actor from Space 1999? Oh no, you see, that, that's a reference I can really appreciate. I'm very very strongly in favour of that. And it works with the M and the L as well, doesn't it? You see, it, it works. It works on on levels. Excellent work, excellent work. But you're still a decade too late, I'm afraid. Though Space oh, 1999 is the late 70s. We have to go back a bit in time. Uh, are we talking about the song that we've been trailing for about 56 or 57 episodes now? Uh, yes, I think we probably are. I think it's time for us to embrace... No, I'm not going to do it, but y you know... Were, were you about to do that vocal opening there? I was, but I chose not to because I don't think our listeners deserve that sort of offence. We, yeah, I mean... The one thing I've written at the top of my notes here is, do we have to talk about it? Well, yes, we do, because we're that kind of podcast. We are doing every song, even though, dear listener, you are appreciative of the fact that there is one on With The Beatles that we missed that we still haven't put out yet. We did record it. We just, for some reason, forgot to put it out. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, hmm? Moving on. Yeah, moving on. Okay. So, yeah, so therefore, <laughs> we, do, we do have to talk about it, but... Um, it's it's Mr. Moonlight, by the way, in case you hadn't realised. If if this is the first episode you've listened to, good luck. It was nice knowing you. Um, but I, I think it's it's worth pointing out we have flagged it as being the epitome of the oh no epitome. I've say I've started that sentence and it's going the wrong way. It's not the epitome of anything. It's it's the it embodies um, the height of shall we say. Oh, I want to say laziness, but more kind of rushed recording um, of the, the Beatles canon, which is it, why I think it exists on record in the first place. And and I have to say, first things first, there are lots of Beatles podcasts out there and there are lots of brilliant Beatles podcasts out there. And some of them um, aim for relentless positivity. And that's fine. I really enjoy a lot of those episodes where they are talking up things that are perhaps hidden gems. However, I do also think that it's it's okay not to like everything a band or a recording artist does. It's it's perfectly fine. We're not talking about objectivity, and there are plenty of, of artists who might be held up as being absolute all-time greats. But there are plenty of people who might not take to Bach or Beethoven, Brubeck, BB King, Say or Blur. It's it's fine. But that's because music, as we've said before, has an emotional response. So it's also okay if there are just a couple of things that throw people off the song because it's perfectly possible that you might hear the introduction to something or you might hear a really crappy rhyme or, you know, one particular vocal inflection and think, well, that's not for me. And that's fine. And I'll be up front and I'll say with this song, I really don't like the vocal opening. I think John's voice is wrong for it completely. And I don't like the way the verses wrap up and the way it brings us back to the words, Mr. Moonlight. I think the transition from the previous line doesn't work. I also think the pace of the song is wrong. It feels lethargic compared to a lot of the Beatles' output. 
But those are my views, and I'm not a music expert, I'm just a fan. Other views are available, and actually, fortunately, we received some other views about this song um, via email this week. JG, what did our dear listener say, or who is our dear listener? Well, our dear listener is Ken, with the two ends, and at long last, somebody has really got a hold of us, which is lovely. So um, thanks for writing in. Um, like you mentioned, Andrew, uh, we have been trailing our opinion on this song for quite a while. Um Clearly enough for uh, somebody to be stimulated uh, into writing to us, which is lovely. Uh, so the email says, hi, guys, uh, just stumbled on your new podcast and love to hear your opinions. Thank you very much. We are opinionated. That's what we do. Uh, I live in the suburbs of NY in USA and was seven when uh, struck by the Beatles on the Sullivan show. My mom and dad always bought their LPs for me rather soon after release. So I was eight or maybe nine when first listening to Beatles 65 on this side of the pond. I know I'm in the minority, but I have always loved this song. Now, dissecting it as a 66-year-old here are my points for its merit. One, compare it to the original. The original has many odd pauses and quick starts of phrasing that our boys ironed out and improved. Uh, number two, uh, John's opal vocal is amazing. Uh, probably what hooked me in immediately as a child. Three, harmonies are much like Babies in Black and or Two of Us. What's not to like there? And four, I love the contrast and the roughness of John's voice for the bridge. Uh, but the night you don't come my way, I pray and pray more each day. And then softening it down for, but we love you. Now, I'll admit that the organ solo is very <laughs> cheesy. Uh, they probably could have worked that out uh, 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 a, a bit better. Um, yes, uh, a bit better guitar part or strings or... But still, overall, that's my take on it. Hope I've given you food for thought. Ken with two so, N's. Thank you, Ken. We do really, really appreciate the fact that you took the time to write in and, and give and us and your just thoughts. just to kind of juxtapose, perhaps, um, my first exposure to the song um, came, you know, in, in my teens... And, and I think this was pretty much the last Beatles album that I bought. So therefore, I wasn't kind of experiencing it in that, that linear fashion and seeing the development from album to album to album. I, I think the order in which I bought the albums helped cement this as an anticlimax. But then, I mean, that kind of proves my point that Ken is is able to, to hear something in John's vocals that I don't. That vocal opening jars for me. John's roughness, as he mentions on there, works for him, but it doesn't work for me. And and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. In fact, you know, to hear more people saying, well, you know what, um, I think you're wrong here because, and then for them to give their opinion. I'm I'm all for that. And, and I thought that was really, really well expressed. And, and we're very grateful. It's, it's really interesting to, to hear from someone who is able to remember um, not able to remember that sounds sounds like I'd expect him to be in a bath chair. <laughs> Someone who experienced the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, you know, it would be fantastic to to hear Ken if you you know you dive back into the back catalogue when we're talking about I want to hold your hand, for example. Whether there's some some elements there that you could add to the discussion that we had as well to see what you remember about you know that particular performance. Uh, so really really appreciate that, and and Ken is not wrong. And that's the beauty of what we're talking about is is that, you know, we are holding these opinions. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all for debate on that. Um, um, although, I, interestingly, one of the things I realise I've said quite a lot here, and you've spoken on behalf of Ken and we haven't heard your view on it, but I'll, I'll just say this and then I'll, I'll let you um, let you come in. I think one of the reasons why um, I find it a difficult listen now is because I think it's too similar 
to the original version. I think it's a very vanilla cover version. So it's interesting to hear him say that they've ironed out some of the, you know, the um, the pauses from the original. Whereas the 62 Star Club version, which you can find available on the internet, is is a lot more raucous and upbeat necessarily because it's it's a live version in you know in a inside a big club set. So for me, that doesn't quite work. The the sort of the relatively slow and lethargic pace of the the recorded version takes me out of of any kind of buzz that I might otherwise feel. What do you think, JG? Yeah, it's it's a curious it's a curious one. I think one of the things that I would like to try and do as we're recording this episode is, um, well, like as we both mentioned, we've, we've both been fairly insulting about this song prior to actually recording this episode. Um, but actually I would quite like to try and do a bit of a redemptive reading on it. Um, uh, just to try and find, um, something of, of value in it. I don't, I don't think it's going to be uh, a tremendous success, but I'm going to give it a go. Um, redemptive readings and, and the kind of redemptive reading I like uh, doing were sort of pioneered by um, Dr. Elizabeth Sandifer, who's one of my favorite critics. And um, she's always been really good at being able to find little gems and little something or other, which, uh, you know, help to add value. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting about what Ken is saying is that he said he came to it on Beatles 65, um, and that necessarily recontextualizes the song rather than coming to it on Beatles for Sale. On uh, Beatles 65, it's stuck between... Stuck between... That's rather pejorative, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's stuck between um, I'll Follow the Sun um, and then Honey Don't. Uh, Honey Don't kicks off side two hmm. of uh, Beatles 65. So it's interesting to... I, I must admit, I should have really listened to it in that order rather than having it followed by uh, Kansas City. Um, and the transition between I'll Follow the Sun and Mr. Moonlight, obviously it's the same on both albums. Um, but then going into something like Honey Don't, uh, that's a that's a curious choice. Um, I'd, I'd be very interested to know if, if that experience is also a little bit different. Um, my own opinion of the song is that it, it isn't great as it stands, but I think there are some individual elements that that work quite well and one that really doesn't and of course the one that doesn't is also the one that um that ken mentioned which is the the, the organ solo which is the very <laughs> definition of chintzy it's just this chintzy awful you were being you know, positive remember I, I, you were being positive I, yeah i I'm try, I will find other things to be positive about, but that's a difficult organ solo to be positive about come on that's it that's a that's a challenge um but there, I do think there are are plenty of elements in the song which are worthy of some some degree of of redemption. But yeah, overall, yeah, it's not a highlight. I think that's fair to say. So it's interesting. A while ago, you sent me um, a, an article from uh, this new thing called the internet, um, yes. which praises um, uh, Mister Moonlight by someone called Colin Fleming, and and I mean he points out the fact that um, he, he thinks one of the reasons why um Beatles fans uh perhaps shouldn't take so much against it is because it's pretty similar to the original version. So they didn't do anything crazy with the arrangement and tempo which creates a certain irony. Anyone naysaying the Beatles version is almost speaking out against the song itself as if it just doesn't work, which seems a strange reaction in listening to the original. Well actually that's that's another point for discussion is well that the original version, the original song itself, is still quite a slight 
thing. It's not a great song. And it's so to me, it seems like a bit of an odd choice for a cover. I mean, the song at least does lyrically. Let's let's sort of you know put a positive spin on it. It, it it's slightly different from your your usual "I love you, you don't love me" kind of song that that you know sort of typifies a lot of the you know the Beatles canon or some of their or early canon anyway, and some of those those um, covers which are quite meta about music in itself like roll over beethoven and rock and roll music so at least there's something different there's like a character there which seems to draw on some lineage with the likes of of mr sandman so that's fine um but i think i'm correct in saying although the song is older it was released as a as a b-side um by the original group dr feelgood and the interns which is a great name um by the oh, way yeah. the, and the interns i think works quite well because I gather there might be uh, there might have been some debate as to whether or not there was a band or whether it was all played by by one person. But you know there is evidence to say that it was a band, which maybe we'll mention something about uh, one of them a little bit later. But but the problem is that the A side um, that was released in '62 with this on is a song called "Doctor Feel Hyphen Good." And the lyrics are quite interesting. Now, obviously, it's it, it's comic, and you can either choose to see this as um, as an, an attempt at a co- comic creation that perhaps isn't hugely successful, or you can maybe view it in a in a sort of a um, anti shallow um, hell type sense, or is it shallow hell? I don't know. I never watched that film. Anyway, <laughs> hey, all of you women, now don't come around unless you weigh around four hundred pounds. I'm from way down home and don't dig chawing on chawing bone. You've got to be all right with me because the doctor is really hard to please. Now you talk about women. I love them all. I love them big and then I love them tall. But if you don't weigh what I want, baby, don't come around at all. Okay. Apparently the doctor's really hard to please. So, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a story in there about a character who is, somewhat interesting that's not to say that they are celebrating that as a character but it perhaps doesn't necessarily suggest the greatest musical sophistication in the world and i think that is also uh what characterizes the song mr moonlight i think it's there's some okay parts in it the characterization is fine um and on the original vocal take that the mr moonlight opening is is perfectly fine it works with that particular voice but actually, it's just not a great song. And in particular, for this point in the Beatles' career, where so much is changing and developing, and the songwriting of Lennon-McCartney is is maturing in some ways, it feels like a really odd pick that is just the result of, of the huge pressure on them to record two albums a year and have, you know, however many singles out and to go on tour left right and center so they seem to have plucked this song that they had performed shall we say back in the day and thought yeah that's fine we'll do this now i don't know if there's more of a story around why they chose to do this i'm pretty sure we could uh, at this point chuck in the fact that they also recorded uh, the fabulous leave my kitten alone that has perhaps developed almost too great a reputation, whereas perhaps Mr. Moonlight has developed too negative a reputation. But I don't know, it just feels like such an odd choice. 
I think it's another one of those songs, and this is not the first time that this has come up when we've been discussing this album, uh, but it's one of those songs that feels like it belongs on Please Please Me yeah. or maybe a stretch with the Beatles. It's that, that kind of 50s um, stylistic shift that was a real boon when you were going around the dance halls and supporting Helen Shapiro and whatnot. You know, it's it's that kind of song. It's appealing to uh, a different section of the audience. So here we go. This is my, this is me going for my redemption <laughs> here. Uh, it's appealing to a different section of the audience. It's not just appealing to like a straightforward mm. rock and roll crowd. It's not just appealing to um, people who are maybe interested in sort of American um, like black girls groups. It's 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 this very yeah slightly cheesy kind of fifties sort of ballad, and that in and of itself kind of marks it out as pretty much unique in this album there isn't a, certainly isn't another song like this on beatles for sale but at the same time even although we are still somehow remarkably in 1964 it feels kind of retro it feels out of place and out of step and that's i, I think again i think i said this before but it bears repeating i think that's more or less true of every cover version post a hard day's night they just don't feel necessary anymore that's not to say that there won't be any good ones because there absolutely will be please see next episode hmm. um but it just doesn't feel but but good and necessary are not synonyms of each other and i think that's the thing with mr moonlight it's 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 it is similar to the original so they make a good fist of it it's not like they completely cock it up or something um i do agree it's maybe a little bit unadventurous but yeah you know they're absolutely knackered at this stage they're not going to be putting a huge amount of thought into into that here's another song we can record it it's done um i do think that some of the opinion around mr moonlight has calcified to the point where its reputation is worse than the actual song is it's not great but it's it's not the worst thing that's ever been committed to vinyl but on the, on the, by the same token, though, I think that also leads to... I'm not including Ken here because he's talking about his reaction to it at the time. But there are some people who who almost seem to revel in holding the alternative opinion. Yes. In celebrating it in a way that feels more like a reaction to, um, you know, um, firmly held opinions. You know, just that attempt to say, oh, look at me, I've got an unpopular opinion which I, I think is 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 stretching things a bit too far. And I, I would I would almost sort of put Mr. Fleming of the internet um in that regard as well. I mean he describes the um Hammond organ part as arresting. Now I think he means that in a positive way rather than <laughs> uh, whoever played it should be arrested. And he talks about again it's that notion of the theatrical a rhythm and blues song for the cabaret. Um, okay, all right, I think you're trying a bit too hard here. Um, and yet, funnily enough, he holds similar opinions to me where he talks about the 62 version as sounding um, feral. And and that's what makes it better. You know, at the Star Club, his vocal shreds. You know, sure, that's fine. Um, but the thing is, he almost seems to be praising the song rather than the performance that appears in 1964 and and that's where i think it, it seems to become a little bit like an affectation for me trying a bit too hard to to find the positive in something when actually just just let it go just say okay you know what fair enough it's not their best work great let's move on and talk about something else 
that's why I'm trying to strike a balance between saying that I do think that there are elements of this song which are, are worthy of redemption, but not going like all out to say, oh yeah, you know, this is really great. It's not really great. It's it's perfectly sufficient. Uh, I, that's that's about as far as I'm prepared to travel in that direction. Um, but you know, there there are some interesting things. I I know that there's some debate over whether Ringo plays bongos or is just slapping a, a chest in this. I honestly, I really hope it's the second one. Um, I really love Ringo's little percussion line in this. I think it's really charming. It, he finds a, a nice way of doing it, and it almost seems to undercut it. Like it's Lennon is delivering this quite sincerely by Lennon's standards you know he's he's not he's not taking the piss he's not you know sidling up to it or like he's singing it pretty straight on um but I like this other sort of pitter-patter sound that Ringo's got underneath it it just it feels like it's undercutting it I think it's quite funny I have no idea whether it's intentional but that's what I'm going with and little things like that it, it does help to it does help to give it something I'm just going to move into the mic to try and create the right mood for this bit when you said that Ringo was slapping uh slapping a chest on this i had visions of him ripping his shirt open and beating <laughs> on his naked hairy breasts i hope that's the uh, case more than anything else in the world <laughs> but I, I just met i just met like a tea chest or <laughs> or a guitar case or something yeah, <laughs> your yeah. version's better let's go with your version thank you yeah I, I like to think there's something primal about ringo i i couldn't just i couldn't agree with you more absolutely but things like that do help to give the song you know that little that little push and um you know it's not really i must be honest that's that isn't something i thought of before returning to this song for the podcast and again that's the pleasure of being able to do this podcast even even in a song which isn't like the best song they've ever done uh, it's just nice to be able to have oh right actually that's an interesting element here I'd, I'd never really thought about that and that's kind of what i think the the percussion in this is so here's like an interesting i, I think hey i'm gonna big up my own opinion here so sort of an interesting <laughs> summation of this i think it's a song that is the epitome of bang average and yeah of course for the beatles it's not bang average it's way down um alongside the likes of you know don't bother me and um you know well, perhaps one or two of the uh the filler bits on um, um let it be for example the original pressing of let it be anyway um you know so it, it's not bang average for the beatles and you know what that says a lot about the beatles and why we are just one of three million podcasts where people saw fit to gather around microphones and share their opinions well absolutely and you know for all the um yeah, I mean, this is yeah, another thing I think it's sort of worth mentioning is that the position of this song and the album is kind of, I don't know where else you would put it. Well, <laughs> please, sir, please, sir, I have a suggestion, sir. I think we know what that suggestion is. Let's move on. I think I think I could hazard a pretty shrewd guess. Yes, um, but it's it's it, yeah. Again, squeezed in between. Um, I'll follow the sun in Kansas City. Um, it's it's. I mean, those three songs. They are. There is nothing that really binds them together at all, other than the the the, the band that are performing them. Um, you know, two very, very stylistically different cover versions, and and uh, you know, a, a fairly uh, short McCartney ballad. I was going to say slight, and then I realised, no, wait a minute, I like how full of the sun. Um, and it's just a it's a weird choice. Um, we'll talk more about it when we get onto our discussion of the album. But but there's a real, I think there's a real difference between side one and side two of this album, and and Mr. Moonlight 
very strongly highlights the arguments I will be making. But I shall say no more. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, give spoilers for our album discussion. Well, I've given a summation, and you've said I'll say no more. Um, I think that's a bit of a hint there, JG. I think you might be right. So, all right. Well, this is going to prove interesting. We've tried to be positive about the song. We've managed to find one or two bits and pieces in it that haven't completely slagged it off. I wouldn't say we tried to be positive. I said we tried to be even-handed. Okay, maybe even-handed is a better a better way of putting it. But we still need to give it a score. So, for Mr. Moonlight, what do you want to give it? Justification Corner. Um, we we really should be using the as much of the scale as possible with you know 10 out of 10 being you know the epitome of um beatles perfection and uh one out of 10 being abject dross that um wouldn't even make filler on um the weakest of rolling stones albums in the late 70s 80s 90s 2000s uh, for example um so i'm gonna give this a whopping great and I've, I've kind of hedged between two numbers here i was gonna give it a three but i think i'm gonna gonna stick on a two now remember that's on a beatles scale not on a you know all songs ever recorded because then i would say in terms of all songs ever recorded it's bang average but for the beatles it's pretty much down at the bottom I would like to point out, just before I give my own score, that that is the lowest score you have given any song during this project. Yep, that's fine. Uh, I will reevaluate. Don't bother me at some stage and drop that score. Um, but yeah, that's fine. Yes, that, that that's fine. Doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It just means it's bad for the Beatles. There is a difference. Yes. Uh, are we still going to do an episode where we uh, we regrade stuff and we revisit some uh, of the material? I don't know. I did just dive in and, and, and update some scores at one point. Um, so potentially, potentially we could do a redemption episode. That might be something for people to look forward to in the future. Oh, what am I going to give this piece of crap? Uh, <laughs> um, oh, God, I don't know. It's So I, this is the lowest score I've ever given anything uh, is a two. And that was for slow down. Which deserved it? So the question is, does this deserve to be better than Slow Down? Can I honestly say, do you think anyone's still listening at this point? Oh, I shouldn't think so. But anyway, I don't care. I'm still going through my process. Um, I am going to give it a three and a half. Uh, it is better than uh, Slow Down, but not by much. And I feel I'm being generous. Oh, I just checked. I, I gave Don't Bother Me a three. Along with P.S. I love you. Okay. So I, I'd, I'd say it's fair. And also, I call your name. Blimey, I had a run of threes. I call your name Slow Down on Matchbox. Wow, I was going through a bad period. I think that might have been when I was ill. But it's but it's not entirely unfair. <laughs> All right, lovely. Let's wrap things up there for now. Then uh, you can really get a hold of us, and it's lovely that someone has. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail dot com. Uh, we are on Twitter, stroke X, stroke whatever the hell it is this week at Beatles underscore ology, and we're Beatles Stuffology on Instagram. You can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot and you can read some of Andrew's writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. 
please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we stay in the realm of cover versions, and it will be Kansas City stroke. Hey, 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 hey. And we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.